I'm reading this morning from Psalm 98, verses 7 through 9a. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 500, and you're following Jesus' Bible on page 617. Let the sea roar, and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before Yahweh, for he comes to judge the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. If you have little ones first grade and under who would like to go for children's worship, Miss Brittany is going to lead them across the way so y'all can be released. Uh, and where are our deacons at? I need, I need your help again, deacons. So those of you who perhaps have not been here the last two weeks, you were traveling for Thanksgiving, maybe you're volunteering in children's ministry, we're doing something different this Advent season. Let me see your journals. Let me see those journals. I forgot mine this morning. Well, son, that's okay. So we are distributing songwriting journals to everybody. So Charles uh, and, uh, and uh, let's see... Uh, who can I nominate? Uh, Jim, go, go help Charles. Charles needs help. So raise your hand if you have not gotten one yet this year. Um, so what we're doing as a congregation is we are each writing our own song during the Advent season. Week one, I give you some principles to be following. And each week we're talking about a different way to help you in the songwriting process. So this is here for you to keep in your pocket. Again, I forgot mine today. But we're taking our sermon notes in there. If you don't have your journal, you left it at home, there is space on the back for you to write your notes. That's where I'll be writing mine today as well. Uh, but uh, So yeah, make sure we uh, everybody gets one of those. So let's talk about Christmas myths, shall we? That's a hard Christmas myths. The myths and traditions surrounding the Christmas holiday are many and varied. Uh, take, for example, the, the, the Christmas tree. Kids, do you know where the tradition of a Christmas tree came from? JJ? That, that, that is one of the traditions. St. Boniface supposedly was the person who cut down that tree that was dedicated to Thor. So that is one of the traditions surrounding Christmas trees. Are there others that are out there, kids or grown-ups, that you've heard of? Joe, you got one? Your mom has one? Mom, what's the, tr- what's the Christmas tree tr- tradition that, that you guys are aware of? Oh, he just wants you to come up with one. Okay. With no others? What about, there are some secular explanations for it too, aren't there? Surely you've heard these as well. That, you know, it's a, it's a pagan symbol uh, from Gaelic religions that Christians just kind of whole hog adopted into Christian. No, nobody's heard that? Y'all should hang out with more skeptics and cynics. It would be good for you. Um, so there, there are actually several different stories about where the Christmas tree came from. Uh, what, what, what it was that inspired someone to drag a tree into their house and put things on it. And quite frankly, I don't know which one is true. There's no way really to know which one is true. But I know the one that I like the most, and it seems possible to me. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it today. JJ's might be legitimate too. I, I just don't know. But I like this one the best. So in the 1950s, a woman who worked for World Vision, which is a a global ministry, wrote a book about Martin Luther, his family, and the Christmas holiday. And she reported, I can't find her source, but she reported that as Luther would walk home each night from work through the fallen snow, he would walk past a a small copse 
of evergreen trees. And one night he was particularly struck by their green color, by their beauty in contrast to the white and uh, the decay, the lack of life all around him. So in a moment of uh, very Lutheran excitement, he chopped the tree down, (laughs) he dragged it home, and he put it in his uh, living room. And uh, uh, to quote that World Vision radio broadcast from 1959 where this is talked about, it says, he wanted the tree to stand there evergreen as a reminder to his children that when the world was at its bleakest moment, sad and helpless and covered with a weight of sin, God sent his son everlasting life itself to bring hope in the midst of the dark and the chill. And then as the story goes, he sat his children down by their new Christmas tree. Oh, we're tangled up here, Mr. Chris. And he sang them a new song, a Christmas carol that he had written for that year. So look in your worship guide. Turn with me to the front. Oh, I have it here. And you'll see the lyrics from this Christmas hymn by Martin Luther. Uh, Sandra McCracken uh, has recently put music to it. So I'm going to sing it. I've, I'm woefully underprepared to play the song. With Awakened Christmas and everything going on, this is the thing this week that got short shrifted. So I'll mess it up. But if you know the song, and it's a lot of verses, so by the end you will have caught on. If you know the song, feel free to sing it with me. Good news from heaven.
what he had experienced, brought this tree into their home, plopped his poor wife, plopped it in their living room, and then sang a Christmas carol that he had written to his children. Luther, gripped by the beauty of nature, praises God. Let's consider another historic songwriter of the church, St. Francis of Assisi. Francis seems most well-known among Protestants for a quote that I just don't like, and that he actually didn't say. The, the, the misattributed quote goes like this, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. He didn't say it, but regardless, to be blunt, there is no gospel without words. There's no preaching the gospel without words, because the gospel, the word, means good news. What good news? Good news of salvation from sin through Jesus. That news can't be clearly communicated without words. But regardless, Francis didn't actually say that. And there are some other things that I do like about him. So Francis, uh, in, in the 1200s, founded an order of monks that lived in great simplicity in a deserted area. They were actually known to, to wander for long stretches of time living in the mountains. And Francis had a deep connection to the natural world. He often... Uh, could be found out by himself in the woods singing praises to God or even preaching to the woodland creatures. Uh, look in the front of your worship guide, and we have uh, some selected hymns uh, or verses from a hymn that he wrote called Canticle of the Sun. I won't sing this one. I'll just read it. Most high, all-powerful, good Lord, yours are the praises, the glory, the honor, and all blessing. To you alone, most high, do they belong, and no man is worthy to mention your name. Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, 
brother's son who brings the day, and you give light through him. And he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendor. Of you, most high, he bears the likeness. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister moon and the stars. In heaven, you formed them clear and precious and beautiful. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother wind and through the air, cloudy and serene, and every kind of weather through which you give sustenance to your creatures. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister water, which is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother fire, through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister mother earth, who sustains us and governs us and who produces varied fruits with colored flowers and herbs. Praise and bless my Lord and give him thanks and serve him with great humility. Now, I have some theological concerns with several of Francis's lyrics, and I'll get to those. Right now, I'm building a case for something. Uh, so the hymn of St. Francis ended up being the inspiration for all creatures of our God and King, which we will be singing later, and, and you guys know it very well. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. All creatures praise Him. All creatures. Francis's song... And the song we're going to sing later are directed at squirrels and birds, all creatures. Like Francis preaching in the woods to sister bird and and brother squirrel, so later in our song we're going to be inviting all creatures to praise God. Something strange about all this. But at the same time, I think fascinating and intriguing. So we've got Luther singing a song with this newly chopped down tree. We have Francis singing a song to uh, the heavenly bodies and the woodland creatures. Also us, we sing that one. And let's not forget the doxology, which we all know quite well. Let's sing it together, but pay attention to the words you're singing. Praise God. Here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Once again, in this song penned in 1674, we as the church are commanding all creatures here on earth to praise the Lord. Also, the heavenly bodies, the sun and the stars and the moon and the spirits in heaven, were commanding them to praise him. So we see a continuing theme in the 1200s with Francis, in the 1500s with Luther, and then in the 1600s with Thomas Ken, who wrote the doxology. But it's a theme that we find in Psalm 98. Look with me. Psalm 98, verse 4, and then verses 7 through 9. Verse 4 says, Make a joyful noise to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Verse 7, Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before Yahweh. As eccentric as Francis Sounds As radical as we know Luther was, and as beloved as the doxology is, all these songwriters and this psalm point to a biblical idea. 
I'll let you write this in your journal. For me and those who are God, we'll write it on the back of our worship guides. God created the natural world to praise him. God created the natural world. Praise him. So we've been going through, I'll say it one more time just in case. God created the natural world to praise him. So as we've been going through Psalm 98 for the last two Sundays, what have we seen? It began with the psalmist telling us to sing a new song to Yahweh because he has done miraculous, marvelous things. He's done miraculous things to save us. And last week we saw the three different kinds of songs I'm encouraging you to write to the Lord. The new song that will come out of your heart, either a a praise song, a surrender song, or an evangelistic song. But in verse 7, it's as though the evangelistic urge of the psalmist shatters all reasonable expectations. He doesn't just want people to praise God. He wants all creatures, even non-living things, to praise God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy. This command includes living things, non-living things, sentient things, non-sentient things, the sea and its inhabitants, the earth and its inhabitants, even rivers and hills. Well, you know, psalms are poetry, right? Songs are poetry. So should we be taking this that literally, or is this just a, a, a metaphor? I think a bigger point's being made. And here's the theological point that I'm seeing, not just in this text, but really all over the Bible. Like humans, the natural world was created for the purpose of magnifying, displaying, and praising the glory of God. You don't have to write that down because it's really long, but I'll say it again. Like humans, the whole created order was made for the purpose of magnifying, displaying, and praising the glory of God. Kids, let's see if you remember your catechism. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. Why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. So you were created for God's glory, but so also the trees and the hills, the sun and the seas, the whales and the giraffes. They all exist and were created for God's glory. Now, how? And this is where I depart a little bit from St. Francis. The way that you glorify God is different from a way that the sun, the trees, and the natural world glorify God. So in Francis' song, he says, Be praised, my Lord, through my Lord, brother, son, who brings the day. Of you, most high, he bears the likeness. Incorrect, Francis. I love you, buddy, but that's not biblical. Kids, who was created in the image and likeness of God. People, that's right. People were created in the image and likeness of God, not the Son. So we are created in the image of God, and why is that important? It means that the way you, human being, magnify, display, and praise God's glory is different for you as an image bearer. It's different than the way the natural world does. But that doesn't mean that we don't both have that created purpose, to display, magnify, and praise the glory of God. That's why I think it's nice and helpful the way Francis thinks about the natural world. If the sun isn't our brother, 
It's at least our cousin. We have the same creator, and God made us both for God's glory. But let's nail it down more. How does the natural world magnify, display, and praise the glory of God? Hold your finger in Psalm 98. We're going to come back there and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul reflects in depth on the created order and its purpose. And I could preach an entire sermon on these four verses I'm about to read, but I'll just reference them for now. So Romans chapter 1, I'll read verses 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So there's a truth to be known, but the world suppresses that truth. Where does that truth come from? Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Leave that open. We're going to come back to it. The created order, Paul says, the natural world makes visible the invisible God. The invisible attributes of God, even his eternal power and divine nature are shown clearly through the natural world. The invisible is made visible. So when you look at the beauty of creation, when you see the raw power of Niagara Falls, when you see the order, when you look at a little leaf and you see its symmetry, what's being made visible is invisible things about God. In these things, we see his beauty. We see his power. We see his order. Here's your next thing to write in your journal. Creation's song makes God's invisible character. I'll pause there because I've got to write it too. Creation's song makes God's invisible character. Visible for all. Creation's song makes God's invisible character visible for all. Just look at the sea and all that fills it. Look at the world and all those who dwell in it. Listen to the rivers lapping against the banks. Listen to the wind whistling through the hills. Meditate on the physical, visible world. And you will see that God is. And you'll learn something of his invisible essence. But there's a limitation. The truth declared about God by the natural world is not enough to save a man. In fact, it's only enough to damn a man. Romans 1 says, if you have perceived the created order, you are now without excuse. What does that mean? It means that a human should see the majesty of God in the physical world and say, I must know more. There is something or someone behind all of this, a being of power and majesty and beauty and order, and then they, they should tear off in a rush to find who this great unmoved mover is behind 
it all. But many do not do that. What do they do instead? Rather than looking for the invisible behind the visible, they worship the visible as though it is God. Continue on with me in Romans 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They see the beauty in nature. They see the order in nature and they think this must be it. This is the thing that is worthy of my adoration, of my love, of my affection. This is my God. The natural world points to the invisible God. But the unregenerate man cannot see past the natural world to God. And so they worship the creature, the creation, rather than the creator. They get stuck in the visible rather than seeing the one who is invisible. So yes, the natural world was created for the purpose of magnifying, displaying, and praising the glory of God. But people cannot be saved by looking at the ocean. They will not be convicted of sin and believe in Jesus by climbing a mountain. There is one way to the Father, and that is through faith in Christ Jesus. And you don't get that from a tree or a lake. You get it from the Bible. Now, all that said, the natural world was created for praise, and it declares God's character for all to see. But here's another fact about creation song for you to write down. Creation song has a minor key. Creation song has a minor key because of sin. Because of sin, creation song has a minor key. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Independent or whatever. Everybody knows there's something wrong with the earth. Storms are getting bigger. Droughts are becoming more widespread. The oceans are getting higher. And frankly, I don't profess to have any idea as to why practically that is happening. But I know the real reason these things are happening, and it's sin. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Paul, our great ecological theologian. Romans 8, verses 19 through 22. Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, Entropy, decay, death, futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Human beings, you and I, we've been affected by sin on every level. Sin is the reason that you age. Sin is the reason that you hurt. Sin is the reason that relationships are hard. It's why holiness seems elusive. It's why you get sick. It's why you die. Sin is the root cause of all these things. But why does Hurricane Ida roll up in here and smash Todd's kitchen? It's sin. Not Todd's sin necessarily, but sin generally. Why are there earthquakes this week in the Pacific Northwest? Because of sin. 
Why does the created order undergo destruction and decay and entropy and death on every level when God created this world to be a blessing and not a curse? It's because of sin. Our sin has affected this world from top to bottom. So Paul says that creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. They're groaning for Jesus to return, for the church to be resurrected, for all things to be made right, because when we are set free by Jesus one day, the natural world will be too. We will have a new heaven and a new earth set free from the bondage and decay caused by sin. But hear me now. Despite the fact that the world, the natural world is broken and twisted, you can still hear creation's song. The world, the created order, is still singing forth God's eternal attributes and divine nature. And sometimes that song is twisted, broken, even a lament, because the world is affected by sin. Just the same as us. The song's just sung in a minor key sometimes. Here's your next thing to write down. Creation also looks forward to the return of King Jesus. Creation also looks forward to the return of King Jesus. The trees, the ocean, the fish, the horses, they're looking forward to Jesus' return too. What in the world am I doing here? What's the point of all this? If you, think I'm, if you don't think I'm cracked yet, give it some time. This is, this is quite a thing. I'm trying to get you to think differently about the natural, physical world. The Bible has a lot to say about the created order. And we know who made the world. We know why he made it, for what purpose he made it. We even know what our relationship to the created order should be. The Bible tells us all these things. And so while I'm not comfortable with Francis's language of Mother Earth, I actually am fond of brother sun, sister moon, brother squirrel, and sister bird. But lest I send you off into la-la land with me and Francis, I've got an easier pill for you to swallow, I think. You can write this down. The natural world can be your songwriting partner. The natural world can be your songwriting partner. So the psalmist, the Apostle Paul, Martin Luther, St. Francis, and Thomas Ken, who wrote the doxology, all seemed deeply engaged with the natural world. They paid attention to the creatures, the plants, the geography, the water, the sun. The created order held a significant place, uh, a place of importance in their thinking and even in their theology, perhaps in a way that is greatly hindered by living in a technological industrialized society. Think about it this way. When was the last time you walked to work like Luther? When uh, did you last sleep outside like Francis? When did you last kill your own food? When did you last heat your home with wood that you chopped down? When did you last go to a stream to get water for your family for the day? The life that we live is largely sanitized and separated from the created order. And we all like to sing, dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. But how many of you have ever done that? 
I mean, that sounds really cold, and it probably smells bad. If we were to actually ride in a one-horse open sleigh through the snow, we would probably complain the entire time. We just don't do this sort of thing. What does it mean, then, to have the natural world as your songwriting partner, like Francis, Luther, Paul, Thomas Kent, or the psalmist? Here's my challenge to you. This week, I want you to set aside some period of time, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, uh, multiple days of you, you've got loads of time on your hand, but set aside some chunk of time to go outside, to turn off all electronics, and to commune with nature. What? Listen, the natural world can be your songwriting partner, and I want to invite you to allow your fellow creatures and creations to work with you. And here's what I want you to do in this time that you set aside. Here's the first thing I want you to do. Number one, look and listen. Look and listen to the natural world. Look and listen to the natural world. Kids are better at this than grown-ups usually. We have to return to this skill of looking and listening to the natural world, being present in this moment. First, pay attention with your eyes. Look. Don't daydream or think about the things you could or should be doing. Look. And drink in the colors, the patterns, the beauty, the order. Kneel down and look at a bug. Look and recognize God's invisible attributes made visible. In creation's beauty, see his beauty. In its brokenness, see all of our need for a savior. In its order, see God's order. See the creation reflected, or see the creator reflected in your fellow creation. Pay attention with your eyes. But also listen. Listen with your ears. I am absolutely convinced that the psalmist was listening to the world around him and was thereby inspired in his song. Look at verses 7 and 8, back in Psalm 98. 7 and 8. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. How do seas roar and rivers clap and hills sing? The psalmist was listening to the creation and it's what it sounded like to him. Waves crashing sound like the sea roaring. Rivers lapping up against the bank sound like the rivers clapping. Wind whistling through the hills. It sounds like the hills are singing. The psalmist was so focused on the sounds around him and those sounds were praise in his ears. And he brought it into his own song. Now this might be an advanced songwriting task, but you may find sounds, rhythms, Images and even melodies to use in your song. Just being outside. A bird's song could be the hook in your chorus. You could reflect on the things that you see and hear, just like the psalmist does. Look and listen to the natural world in the time that you set aside this week. But second, here's second thing to do while you're outside. Number two, interpret what you see and hear. Interpret what you see and hear. With the Bible. Interpret what you see and hear with the Bible. 
What you see and hear in the natural world is only enough to damn a person. It's not enough to save you. But while the unregenerate man looks at the creation and worships it as a God, we are able to understand the natural world rightly. We're able to interpret it rightly. We have to interpret the natural world how? Through the lens of Scripture. If we don't, then it's very possible we're going to become heterodox in our affections and thoughts. And I certainly think that St. Francis was a Christian brother whom we will meet one day, but I think he was dead wrong in some of his assessments. There are parts of his hymn that I cut out altogether that I just didn't, I couldn't even bring myself to read on a Sunday morning. So I think we have to be careful with how we engage the natural order, the created order. Francis maybe immersed himself too much in the natural world, but I would argue that Francis's problem is no way ours. I think we have the opposite problem. Very few of us ever think seriously or biblically about the created order, and we interact with it only by necessity or in passing. It's just not regular uh, as a part of our life, let alone our theology. So, as you set aside time to, to listen and to look to the natural world, interpret what you see through the lens of Scripture. The Bible always sets guardrails for our understanding on things, so keep that foundational. And here's the last thing to write down, number three. Consider how Jesus' first and second advents is the longest one. Consider how Jesus' first and second advents affect the created order. Consider how Jesus' first and second advents affect the created order. Jesus was born. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and was raised, not only for people, but to save the whole created order. He came to make things right, that his glory would be magnified above all things. The psalmist says, O sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So when Israel, when God did a miraculous work to set Israel free from Egypt, how did the created order respond? The Red Sea rolled out the red carpet. When Israel marched through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, the rocks broke open and gave them water. When Jesus was born, a new star blazed in the sky with hope. And when he died, the sun went black. And one day when Jesus returns, the stars will fall from the sky. Do you not see the created order? The natural world is longing for the return of Jesus and the revealing of the sons of God. Every time God saves his people through some miracle in the scriptures, the created order trembles with anticipation and joy. So as you sit outside, communing with your fellow creations, consider their longing for Jesus to come back. Imagine what it will be like for the created order when he returns. How will your little bug friend be affected? How will your fungus-infected shrubbery be set free? What will the possum in the woods do on that day? I like this challenge because it's weird, and also because it gives me permission to turn my phone off for a stretch of time. And I really hope some of you do something very uncomfortable for you, like uh, petting a bug or preaching to a tree like St. Francis. But here's the challenge. It's very simple. Set aside some time to be outside. Day, night, doesn't matter. Listen and look. Interpret what you perceive through the scripture and reflect on the impact that Jesus' return will have 
on the created order. And truth be told, setting aside that time will probably also be a helpful corrective to our fast-paced Christmas experience. We go from event to activity to the next thing. What if we just stopped, looked at our fellow creatures and creations and said, hey, see, roar with me. Hey, river, clap with me. Hills, let's just sing together for a moment. Let's fulfill our creational purpose together since God made us both for his joy, for his glory. Let's write a song together. The natural world can be your songwriting partner. So revel in God through the physical world and let your new song take shape. This time with the physical world may give you words like the psalmist, even a tune to sing. Now, as I close, many of you have been asking, what are we, what are we doing with these songs? Everybody's writing these songs. Well, to start, uh, these are primarily for you. This is your song to give to God in worship during this Advent season. So if, this, if you never sing this song to your spouse or like Luther did to his kids, that's okay. It's just, you don't sing it to your friends and your neighbors, even the evangelists. That's okay. You can just keep it between you and God. And I consider that a win. I'm excited about that. That said, on December 26th, which is the Sunday and the day after Christmas, we're going to be looking at the whole of Psalm 98 and reveling in what God has been teaching us over the last four weeks. And if some of you would like to share your song with the body of Christ on that day, you can read it to us, you can sing it to us, we're going to create space for that. What we're doing right now, worship, often feels like this very one-directional sort of thing, this not very engaging relational thing, but that's worship is supposed to be us spurring each other on in worship, spurring each other on as disciples of Jesus. So we're going to give you a chance to share. Our whole service is going to be structured around that. So if you might be interested in that, even just a little bit, I want to encourage you to talk to Chris today or to come to our songwriting workshop tomorrow night. So tomorrow night, Chris is going to be leading a songwriting workshop. Food's going to be uh, available. But that way we can get an idea of how many songs we have and of those three categories, praise, surrender, and evangelism, we can figure out which bucket they fall into, and we're going to kind of structure our worship service around that on the 26th. So if you're, and kids, we'd love to hear your songs too. Uh, y'all heard me, I messed up a song earlier, so we don't expect perfection. We're just uh, stepping into the risk and transparency of sharing our worship uh, with each other. So uh, please come back after I've said that. <laughs> <laughs> you, there will be no shame on the 26th. If you don't want to share or your song's not done, that's cool. No pressure at all. Chris and I are going to share ours, and we're not done. I, I've got like three lines written, I think. So, uh, so join us in that, and uh, let's go to God. Holy God, I'm so uh, excited, yes, for Christmas, but also for this process of singing a new song. You've done miraculous things in our lives and in the history of the world that are so praiseworthy. And so I want to pray for each man, woman, boy, and girl who's here today. And I pray that you would fill them with joy this season. And that as they reflect on the miraculous and marvelous things you've done, that a new song would bubble up in their heart. And Lord, if there's anyone here that you would want to share a song with the body, give them the courage to talk to Chris today or to come to our songwriting workshop tomorrow night. And help us, Lord, to uh, encourage each other. Uh, during this Advent season. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.